because I like these. This is how I think. So this is what I share. Hi, guys. Oh, I'm a winner. Okay. <laughs> Can I got uh, I can't do this one as well. Thanks. Is that Jason? Thank you. I think we did it. This thing has been Jimmy rigged one too many times. We're going to buy a new one. <laughs> right now it is being held together with duct tape. Nice, huh? Classy. All right. Isn't Pullman an odd place? Were you guys here last week? It was like so full. It was like the biggest Sunday we'd had in a long time. And there's like half of us this week. What a weird place to live. I, I'm still kind of not used to it. So, but that's okay. That's all right. So Russ and Janie are here. Yay. The whole world is gone and you came back. Your laugh makes me, do you guys like his laugh? Those of you that know him, it's like home. It's like home. We sing that one song, and did you guys hear Sandy do the woo? Did you hear her? Did you hear who who heard Sandy's part? We we sing that song. I'm like, where's Sandy? She's not here. She always like he's risen from the grave, and Sandy's the one that goes woo. And I wanted to do it so bad. I'm like, just do it, just do it. I'm sitting. I'm like, I can't, I can't. I'm just a chicken. I wish Sandy was here. That's her part. I kind of like. I love community, and. I actually love this church more than I used to. It's like your kids, I think, in a bit. You know what I mean? God, you have, you have more and more room for love. And um, I used to get really tired of living here a lot. And I would pray a lot. Now, God? Now? Can we go now? And he said, no. No. Not now. I was like cleaning the floors. Okay. All right. Whatever. And then about a year and a half ago, this is really how God works sometimes. I said, how about now? And he said, yeah, you can do whatever you want now. You can go. And you guys know what happened? I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay. Isn't that weird how people are? I was like, oh. He's like, yeah, you can go now. It's your choice. I was like, okay. And then I was speaking to my sister. It was Sister Lillian, my spiritual director. She's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I think I might want to stay. She's like, isn't that how it works? So I don't know why. I just wanted to tell you, I like you. I like being here. It's a weird place, but I like it. So one more thing before I start with my sermon, which I'm really excited about and nervous like always, I want to invite you, couples, please listen. This is an intentional invite. For the first time, we are having a couples retreat. That does not mean that you do not matter if you are single, because you do. We care. Um, If you're wondering how we feel about singles, please listen to my message that I gave six weeks ago. I'd really love you to listen to that. However, and there are certain things that we need as couples to be who God created us to be. And it is not easy to be a reflection of God in this culture as a married couple. And that's what we're called to. So we are making space. We are excited. The 9th through the 11th, we are going to St. Gertrude's. It is beautiful there, and it is not cheap. So I'm asking you in the midst of Christmas to plan now. We will be getting away as couples. We will have quiet space alone, just you and yourself and God, and we will have time together as couples. We will have fun. 
We will try to laugh so hard that our tummies hurt. I like laughing like that. Uh, We will have intentional conversations. Kelly and I were talking. Kelly's like, you need to make space for those conversations that we want to have that we don't have. I was like, okay, got it. We can do that. So we're going to have intentional conversations and some new skills. So for those of you like myself that kind of like a new skill, they're just fun, um, some new skills. So we invite you, register. You may invite a friend. I've invited a friend. I have a friend coming from Woodenville. Pretty cool. They're going to fly. They're crazy. And um, they're bringing friends. She's like, can we bring friends? I'm like, sure. So they're, they're bringing some missionary friends of theirs. She's like, we're going to fly into Lewiston and meet you. So come, come be with us. Um, I know it will not be easy if you have kids. It's tricky to figure out what to do with them. So I'm giving you time. All right. So for my message today, I get to end the parable series. So if you have not been with us, we've been talking about the parables. We've been talking about um, Jesus' words and teaching to us the parables. Um, This last semester, we've had three Bible studies. This is something we haven't done before, all studying parables. It's super cool. College students, we've been studying parables. Kelly and Audrey have had a home group doing parables. And Janice has been leading a women's group leading parables. The Fontaines would like me to invite you. If you are not in a small group, they would love to have you on Thursday nights. Or if one of your classes that you've been in is coming to an end, they would love to have you. Audrey is a very good Bible study teacher. It's what he does for a living. We're pretty fortunate, and he's offering to teach here. So I encourage you. And they're fun. Kelly and Audrey are fun. And he makes a really good coffee. So that should sell it right there. All right. So this morning I invited my friend, my new friend, my Nigerian friend, to read our passage for us today. So Stephen, would you please come read the text for us this morning? If you have not had the privilege of meeting Stephen, I hope you do. He is a joy And he passionately loves Jesus, and I learn just as much from him or more, I am sure, than he learns from me. All right, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Oh, you want to speak up? Okay. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast a week, I give thanks of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this parable. 
I pray that you would speak to each of us today. I pray that we would hear you. I pray that we would go home um, closer to you. May we experience your grace, your truth, your kindness. Jesus, I pray that people would leave here more hopeful than when they came. In Jesus' name, amen. So, each week as we do these Bible studies, we first look at the context. Because sometimes in the Bible, it's easier just to read and take things out and have them say what we want them to say. So we've been learning in our Bible studies to slow down and look at the context. So we're going to do that today. There are two contexts that we always look at. So the first one that we're going to look at is what comes before this parable and what comes after this parable. And who is the parable being spoken to? Because it changes how you read it. So this parable is being spoken to the Pharisees and to the disciples. So we think like, I think a lot of times we're like, oh, I know Pharisees. But one of the college students, I studied this with the college students, is like, uh, I've grown up in the church my whole life. What's a Pharisee? Just to be honest. Like, he's like, I think of him like as a politician. And that would change the way you see the text, right? Because a Pharisee is not really a politician. A Pharisee is like a pastor. A Pharisee is like a missionary. It's like a priest. It's somebody who knows the Bible. That's who the Pharisees is. So Jesus is talking. He's like at a pastor's conference. He's talking to the people that know the Bible. And he's talking to his disciples. So the parable right before this, Jesus is talking to a widow. That's who he's talking to. And the point of it is to pray. So in that culture, a widow is not someone who's valued. They're not someone who's important. And then in our text, the main character is basically, it's about the tax collector. And they're like, what's so big about a tax collector? Well, it's not like our IRS. In that culture, the tax collectors were kind of criminals. They were cruel. They would be like, hey, angel, you, you owe me $500, when in truth, it was only $300. So he'd take the rest and put the other two in his pocket. They'd be like, hey, Audrey, you owe me $700. And Audrey actually only owed $400. And then the tax collector would put the rest in their pocket. So they were loathed. Jesus is talking about someone who's loathed. And then right after this, Jesus is talking to people about the children. Children were not valued in this culture at that time. And Jesus says, let them come to me. So all three of those people are people that in that culture don't, they don't matter. They're not important. Emma's reading a book right now, and it talks about how you can't care about things that you don't see. If you don't know about the people in Venezuela, you can't care. You can't care about things you don't see. So what does Jesus do? He's always showing us things that he wants us to see. He's showing us the people that other people ignore. I don't think it's a small thing because for me, when I read those stories, I always think, well, then there's a place for me, right? There's a place for me. I don't have to be amazing. I don't have to be a superhero. I just have to be me. There's a place for everybody with Jesus. I think, so that's the first context. And the second, I kind of talked a little bit about, but it's historically, what's the context? It's not America. 
It's not Nigeria right now. It's, it's several thousand years ago. And if you don't look at those two things, uh, it changes everything. We've realized when we stop and we say, what's the context? What's going on? It completely changes how we see the text. So this text is called a parable of contrast. I really like these because I think it's how my brain works. It's called a parable of contrast. And in it, Jesus is contrasting the tax collector. Ooh, that's pretty nice color. Tax collector. And, oh, I probably made him too big, the Pharisee. And they're both going to the temple. This is my temple. I'm not a very good artist, but it doesn't stop me. So this is the temple. And they're both going to pray. I want you to look in your Bible real quick and see what you can see about the tax collector, what you see about the Pharisee. In this parable, I think we have to look at the comparisons before we can figure out what's actually going on. The tax collector goes to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. So they're both there at the temple. The tax collector is standing alone. They're both standing But one is standing alone, and the other one is standing far off. The tax collector, his eyes are down, and he beats his breast. The Pharisee says one short prayer and says the word, I, five, times I the tax collector that's tricky calls himself a sinner and he says I'm grateful that I am not a sinner the tax collector is exalted and the Pharisee is humbled The tax collector relies on grace. And he relies on, ooh, did someone say praise? Did I hear that? That's even better. I think he relies on human accolades. Oh, boy, I can't spell. Sorry. And it's like he gave a resume. It's like his prayer is a resume. We noticed when we were looking at this text that he says in a short period of time, five eyes. Can you imagine it? Try this with me. I think I've thought about this parable so long, I'm having a hard time communicating. So imagine this with me. So we're at the temple. This is how I saw it. This is our church. There are two people. I see one here, praying, standing, saying, I, I thank you, God, that I am, where is it? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector on the other side. I fast twice a week and I give all the tithes that I have. And then I see somebody else over here, the tax collector. 
I see him. He can't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he's beating his breast. He's so distraught within him. And I think what I notice about it is, looking from the outside, you can't tell. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what, which one's praying what. I think that's what the parables show us. From the outside, you don't know what's going on. No one knows except the Father what's going on. You can look at both of them and think both of them are fine. When we look at the parables, sometimes this happens. I feel like I lose people. (laughs) Or is it just quiet? Okay. Thank you. Many parables that we looked at are the attitude of the heart. To live in Jesus' kingdom is to examine one's life. I think that parables actually ask us to be contemplatives. They ask us how should we live. They ask us to look deeper at our soul, our core. I think that they make us say, how is it with your soul? Many of you know I go to see uh, Sister Lillian. She's my little Catholic nun, my spiritual director. And she says to me, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul and God? That's how she always starts. And I think that's what the parables are really about. How is it with your soul? How is it with you and God? The tax collector... A simple prayer. He doesn't say much. The Pharisee gives us a resume for how amazing he is. We don't actually know. What if the tax collector is just as amazing? What if the tax collector tithed? What if he did all the things? But he doesn't say it. It's not what it's about. He's just quietly saying, God, please forgive me. We don't know that he could have done all the things. He relied instead on grace You must have trusted God. You have to trust God to keep it a simple prayer like that. The Pharisee relied on living right, checking the boxes. A perfectionist. He's the achiever. How many of you have done the Enneagram? He's a one. He's an eight. He's the one who gets it right. I love check marks. I love knowing I've got it right. It's me. I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I'm certain I'd be a Pharisee. I'm certain Jesus would have been talking to me. Heidi, you've got all your boxes marked. You've done it all, but that's not what I'm looking at. There's nothing wrong with what the Pharisee does. That's what I'm thinking about. There's nothing wrong with how he lives. There's nothing wrong with doing the right things. But the problem is, is that he was judging others and he was trusting himself. Have you ever judged others? Because it kind of feels good sometimes. Have you guys listened to Brene Brown? She's like, I love to judge other people because I feel so good. That sounds horrible. Isn't that vulnerable? But when you judge other people, you can be like, I got it right. At least I've got it right. At least I'm doing something right. And I think that's the Pharisee. He's saying, well, at least I'm not like them. One of my students asked me when we were looking at this text, How did he go home justified? Why did he go home justified? Who did the justifying? It's God. God does the justifying. And it was his simple prayer. It wasn't that he was amazing. It wasn't that he had all the answers. He went home justified because he asked. Living humble is the theme of the parables. 
We realize if we don't know what humble, we realize that if we didn't even know what humble meant, though, that we couldn't understand this text. So, I'm sorry. Sometimes I have such a horrible time speaking, and sometimes it's so natural. I don't understand it. I really don't. Maybe God uses it to humble me. I don't know. Can I pray real quick? Thank you. Jesus, I don't understand. Sometimes when I, I, I use this gift, I feel like it's, it's clear and you've gifted me. And I don't want it even to be about me, but I, I want people to see you. And other times I feel like I can't get my words out and I, I need to, to not. I, I believe in my heart that you have something for us today. May I please communicate it? I believe that there's a message here for us today. Father, I pray that despite me, that you would um, speak to each person here. I pray that they would profoundly encounter you. Amen. Those of us who exalt ourselves now will be humbled later. That's what Jesus says in the last verse. And it's a theme of the parables. It comes up three times. If we exalt ourselves now, there will be a time when we are humbled. And it will be the time to come. And if we choose like the tax collector to come here and humble ourselves before God, there will be a time when we are exalted. It's salvation. That's what it is. It might be now that you're saved, but you might not experience that being exalted until you're in heaven. You might not see it here. You may and you may not. We found that three parables, though, three parables ended with the same idea. That those who exalt themselves now will be humbled. And those who humble themselves, God will exalt. And I thought, well, then what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be humble? It's a theme. In awake, we said to be humble is to say I need help. To be humble is to say I need help. And it's to say that Jesus is the Lord And I am not. It's to say, your will be done, God, not mine. It's to say, I'm a sinner. That's not very cool in our culture. To say to somebody who doesn't go to church, I'm a sinner. I need help. I can't do it on our own. I think for a long time there's been a belief held by many people that there's a God-sized hole or a vacuum Something missing without God. I love this. I'm restless till I rest in you. Have you heard that? I'm restless, God, until I rest in you. And I think that part of that's gone now in our culture. I think if you ask people if they had a hole, if they have a holy longing, some might say yes, but I think a lot of people say, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't even know what you're talking about. 
And so I think to be humble is to say, I need help. Jesus is in charge of my life. I'm not in charge of my life. And I'm a sinner. I think that's what it is to be humble. I went home from our group that night asking myself and praying my heart, God, I, w- I want to be exalted some, someday in your kingdom. So what does it mean to be humble? What does that look like? How do you live that? And um, would, you put up the, would you put up this prayer? When I woke up in the morning, Jamie had already been up before me because he usually is, because I love to sleep. There was this uh, prayer he'd read. This is from a book that Jamie and I have been reading. And they're written prayers. And I know written prayers are unusual in our vein of church, but I love them because when you read them, your mind and your spirit can take you to places you wouldn't normally go. And so I love to read them and pray them and then see where they go. This is what was sitting here. This is, I was like, this is it. This is humble living. I am not the captain of my own destiny. I am not the captain of my own destiny. Nor even on this new day. And so I renounce anew all claim to my own life and desires. I am only yours, O Lord. Lead me by your mercies through these hours that I might spend them well. Not in harried pursuit of my own agendas, but rather in good service to you. Teach me to shepherd the small duties of this day with great love. Tending faithfully those tasks you place within my care. And tending with patience and kindness the needs and hearts of those people you place within my reach. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord Christ. I deposit now all my confidence in you. That whatever these waking hours bring, my foundations will not be shaken. At day's end, I will lay me down again to sleep, knowing that my best hope is kept well in you. In all things, your grace will sustain me. Bid me follow, and I will follow. Amen. I think that's living humbly. I am not the captain of my own destiny. I love that phrase. You and I are not the captain of our own destiny. It's Jesus Christ. This last Saturday, we were at my uncle's memorial service. And I was thinking about death. Because that's what you do at a memorial service, right? I think it's good to think about death. I like going to cemeteries. And I like thinking about death. Because I think a lot of the parables are about death. I think more of the parables are about death than anything else. The ten virgins last week, that's about end times. This one, the exalted and the humbled, it's about the end times. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about death and the end? We don't. We're not comfortable with it. Jamie and I have a daily devotional. Jamie's done it, the Henry Nouwen one. He spends a whole month talking about death and dying. I'm like, what is wrong with this man? People don't do that. I finally think I might know why Jesus put so much energy into talking about the parables with death and dying and end times. Because when you think about death and dying, you think about how you live now. 
right? It makes you think about what you're doing now. And sometimes you go to a memorial service and you're inspired to change the way you're living now. And sometimes you go to one and you're like, that was the saddest thing I have been to in so long. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be like that. And I think some of the parables are like that. You don't want to live like that. You don't want to be like that. And I think that the parables invite us to turn. Jesus is always inviting us to turn. You've been living this way, and I'm inviting you to turn. Sometimes Jesus invites us to turn, and it's small. It's just little things. But sometimes Jesus rocks our whole world. Some of us can probably think of those times. I think it'd be good for us to think about death and dying sometimes and to get a little more comfortable with it. Because then we could think about how we live now. So Jamie and Annie and Audrey and I, when we finish messages, we try to come up with good questions. We try to come up with questions that will cause you to think and to ponder and take the thoughts home with you and not just let it die here or be done. So I stole my question. And my question is from Janice this week with this text. And we're going to think about it for a little minute. How can I, how can we be more like the tax collector? How can I be more like the tax collector? And less like the Pharisee. Because I was thinking, when I come to church, I think sometimes it's still all about me. And it's not about God. I think sometimes when I pray, it's all about Heidi. And it's not all about God. Janice said this week that she thinks that there's a little bit of the tax collector and there's a little bit of the Pharisee in each of us. So the question is, how can I be more like the tax collector? Do you understand that nobody, nobody knows what's going on in your heart? Nobody knows. Just you and Jesus. Nobody knows. It's just him. It's a core thing. It's a heart thing. It can sound terrifying, but really it's freeing. Just just you and God. It's actually freeing. If someone were to come into here and just to be a part and look at us, they don't know. I don't know what's going on from week to week. I pray that I'm more like the, the tax collector and that I humbly come before God. I was thinking, in order to be like the tax collector, though, this is what I was thinking. In order to come, you have to trust God. You have to trust God. You have to trust him that he means it, that all you need to do is say, forgive me. You have to trust him. Because I'm not sure I always trust him. I think, yeah, I know, and I'm going to help you out a little bit. You have to trust him. In order to leave it at God, have mercy on me. You have to trust him. Or you're not going to pray it. You're not going to say it. So I asked you, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? That all you need to say is, have mercy. 
forgive me? One time I was asked, do you trust Jesus? And I said, no, I don't think I do. Like, that was like five months ago. <laughs> I was kind of in a, do you trust Jesus? I'm like, no, I don't think I do. And she said, I think you do. I think you do by the way you live, by the choices you're making. I think sometimes we need people in our lives that tell us, yes, you do. You do. You trust Jesus. You do. I can tell by the way you live. You trust, trust Jesus. I can tell by the way you live. Today, I would like the worship team to come forward, and I'd like you just to think. Think about it. Do I trust Jesus enough to be the tax collector? How can I be more like the tax collector? He wasn't liked very much in his society, and I really like to be liked. He was scum. How can I be more like his heart? Jesus, as we examine ourselves today, as we open ourselves up to your, your, kind, your kind eyes, may we be willing to say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, may we be willing to be like the tax collector. May we trust you enough. In this closing time, may we give you our our attention.
Exalt means to lift high. We do that with our voices, we do that with our hearts, with our souls, and with our hands. So I just want to invite you to, to lift the Lord with your whole body this morning. As we sing, I will exalt. I will exalt you. I will exalt you. Mm-hmm. 
who have fallen follow Jesus, you are not the captain of your own destiny. You're not the captain of your own destiny. I pray this week that God the Father will speak to you. That the Holy Spirit will comfort you when you feel busy or harried or anxious. I pray that Jesus will be your friend. That he will go through life with you. That you will sense his presence when you are doing laundry, when you are doing the dishes, when you are studying or driving. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I get to say it's my turn. If you get nothing from today, know that Jesus Christ loves you. And Jamie and I care deeply for you as well. We actually love you too. Go in the grace of God. See you next week.